shown uh, us mercy uh, through the gift of your son, Jesus Christ, who while we were yet sinners came and died for us and through his resurrection has uh, uh, purchased eternal life uh, for us and we have our life and being in him and through his life-giving spirit. Lord, we thank you for how you've called us uh, to be part of your people, um, fulfilling uh, your promises that you made uh, to our father Abraham. Uh, we thank you for uh, your faithfulness, even to a people that um, has shown itself throughout history to be so unfaithful. Lord, we thank you for um, your servant Paul and how he um, demonstrates uh, his concern uh, for his people, but also uh, his commitment uh, to your truth and to your gospel message, um, even if it means uh, saying hard things. And so we pray that uh, you would help us uh, have a similar uh, concern that we are committed uh, to you and what you have revealed to us, but we're also uh, concerned about those um, whom we love who do not know you and that uh, we seek uh, to reach uh, the lost in your name. Lord, uh, give us uh, wisdom this morning. Give us your spirit to guide us into all truth concerning our Savior, Jesus Christ. In whose name we pray. Amen. All right. So um, last week we stopped right around verse 18. Um, so we'll pick up today um, mostly fo focused on Romans 9, 19. And um, my hope is we'll be able to get to verse 4 of chapter 10. Um, so let me uh, read for us. And just for context and to remind us where we are in chapter 9, I'll read the whole of the chapter. Um, so here now the word of God. I am speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen according to the flesh. They are Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. But it is not as though the word of God has failed. For not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel, and not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring. But through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as offspring. For this is what the promise said, about this time next year I will return and Sarah shall have a son. And not only so, but also when Rebekah had conceived children by one man, our forefather Isaac, though they were not yet born and had, not, and had done nothing, either good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls, she was told, the older will serve the younger, as it is written, Jacob I have loved but Esau I hated. What shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, for this very purpose I have raised you up, that I might show my power in you, and that my name be, be, might be proclaimed in all the earth. So then, he has mercy on whomever he wills, and he hardens whomever he wills. And verse 19, picking up what we'll focus on today. You will say to me then, why does he still find fault? For who can resist his will? But who are you, O man, to answer back to God? Will, that, will what is molded say to its molder, why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? What if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has, endu has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, which he had prepared beforehand for glory? Even us, whom he has called, not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles. As indeed he says in Hosea, 
Those who are not my people, I will call my people. And her who is not beloved, I will call beloved. And in the very place where it was said to them, you are not my people, there they will be called sons of the living God. And Isaiah cries out concerning Israel, though the number of the sons of Israel be as the sand of the sea, only a remnant of them will be saved. For the Lord will carry out his sentence upon the earth fully and without delay. And as Isaiah predicted, if the Lord of hosts had not left us offspring, we would have become like Sodom and become like Gomorrah. What shall we say then? That Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it, that is, a righteousness that is by faith. But that Israel, who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness, did not succeed in reaching that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as if it were based on works. They have stumbled over the stumbling stone, as it is written, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. Whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Thus far, the reading of God's holy word. May you bless it as we speak of it with one another uh, this morning. So last week, uh, just to recap, um, in starting uh, chapter 9, uh, we described how we're starting a, a new section in the book of Romans that runs chapters 9, 10, and 11. Um, and while some people try to like say this is a complete excursus from Paul's um, uh, main flow and logic of Romans, um, in reality, as we saw last week, he's, he's dealing with a, a major issue that could call into question everything that he said. Because if, um, if nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ, um, what do we do with the people to whom God had made promises to the nation of Israel? And so it's a, it's a real um, difficulty that um, Paul's dealing with. So he's not just dealing um, with the the, you know, just the fate of Israel, but we too are wrapped in to that um, question. And uh, we see that in verse um, six, but it is not as though the word of God has failed. So he, he wants to, in this um, section, uh, to emphasize the truthfulness of what God has said um, and how God has been faithful to the promises he made to Israel. Um, and he does this in a couple ways. So one, um, we saw, focused on more last week, the idea that not all Israel, or not all physical Israel, is true spiritual Israel, um, as he says uh, in, in verse 6. For not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. So it's the not all. And then today, when we get into the latter half of the of chapter of Romans, it's not only. <laughs> so not only is physical Israel true Israel. Um, as he says in verse 24, even us whom he is called, not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles. So uh, not all Israel is true Israel, and not only Israel belongs to that true people of God. Um, so we saw that last week uh, in this idea that working through that first one, not all Israel belongs to Israel by his, his looking at these two sets of brothers. First contrasting um, uh, uh, Ishmael and Isaac, the, the child of the promise versus the other child who too was a, a descendant of Abraham, but he wasn't the, the child of the promise. So there um, Paul focusing on it's the promise that sets apart um, Isaac. And then, um, uh, he turns to Rebekah and Jacob and Esau, and he's emphasizing that God um, created a distinction between these two brothers um, in a way not according to the flesh. The younger um, is, is being put in preferment to the elder. Um, it's being done before any of them were born, um, had done anything good, but to demonstrate that God's purpose 
will continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls, Paul says. So then, uh, in verses 14 through 23, um, Paul takes a step back um, from this, his main purpose in this chapter um, to deal with um, two objections to this electing purpose of God. And the first one we talked, of one, uh, or talked about last week was the question of fairness or injustice on God's part. Uh, and um, Paul's answer is, you know, again, using the scriptures to emphasize God will have mercy on whom he has mercy and he'll have compassion on whom he has compassion. Um, and, and we talked about how his act of saving some um, you know, is merciful. Like, you know, he, he's saving, all are in a standpoint of deserving condemnation and God is mercifully saving some um, and hardening others for his particular purpose. So today we'll pick up with the second objection that gets raised um, to this, this doctrine of, of God's purpose of election. And we see this in verse 19. Uh, you will then say to me, why does he still find fault? For who can resist his will? So how does Paul deal with this second rhetorical objection to this teaching about God's sovereign tip? <laughs> he doesn't call him a piece of dirt, but <laughs> um, well, maybe kind of. Um, yeah, you, who are you, oh man? Um, uh, yeah, it's clay dirt. Yeah, okay. um, yeah but he, he, he emphasized, you know, again, the, um, the, that there is an order to these things. And, um, and yeah, we are not at that, that level where we get to ask that particular question. <laughs> It is very much like God's answer to Job. Like, and, it, and similarly, you know, that, that answer in Job is all about, you know, where were you when I laid the foundations of earth and I created this thing and that thing. And here, um, even though it's, it's a more prosaic kind of, you know, the potter is the image, that the word create or form there, um, you know, uh, is the same, like it, it has the same connotation. So um, there is some verbal linkage to, to God's creative act. And so as God, as the creator, has the right and authority over that which he's made. Yeah, Dave. Yeah, so I would say Paul's answer is that, that God is the, the generator of the law, and there, there is no, God is under no compulsion um, outside of himself. Um, and, you know, so the only compulsions God is under are those things that are intrinsic to his being. Um, and so if you think of the good old Westminster Shorter Catechism answer, what is God, um, you know, God is a being, infinite, eternal, unchangeable, in his, I uh, always get the, the order wrong, his goodness, holiness. <laughs> Thank you. I knew there were some good Presbyterians in here. I'm, a, I'm clearly a bad Presbyterian um, because I um, don't have my shorter catechism locked down anymore. I did once. <laughs> um, but so, you know, so we know that God is going, you know, whatever he does, he's going to act a according to his being. And the law is a, you know, a, a reflection of God's holiness. The other thing I, I could say um, with the, like, command, that idea of the command to Abraham, is, is God has, like, different levels of will 
which I won't go get into completely <laughs> now because I didn't review that section <laughs> of my systematic theology textbook uh, this morning. But if I'm thinking back to, to seminary, you know, that, that God, you know, can express something, um, you know, and have, you know, a different will or purpose behind. So there, like his, even though he tells Abraham to do that, that was never his intention for Abraham to do that. So, you know, God can express something, but have an, a different purpose behind it. Yes, sir. Yeah, and that's his, like, why is all this happening to me? And, and, yeah, and, you know, it, and chided on by his friends who've been trying to get him to, to, to you know, curse God and die. Um, and he, yeah, so, you know, he comes to that. And, and the answer is, like, again, it's, it's, maybe it's not an answer to the question, but it, the point is to put us into the, the idea of, well, remember who God is. Um, and the emphasis here, like, one, Christ is God. He's, he's just said this. Is Christ the God over all? So he's kind of, as he's answering this, this question, he, he's saying, look, the person who saved you, <laughs> um, the person who's demonstrated mercy to you is the one who is, is doing this. And he's doing it for reasons. So, you know, so, so notice, he's saying, you know, in verse 22, what if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, so that sin is real and it deserves um, wrath, um, that God is powerful, has endured with much patience. Like, so again, it's this idea that you know, God is, is patient um, in, in revealing his wrath. Um, in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of, of mercy. So, you know, it's to show his wrath. It's to make known its power. It's in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy. So as we think about this idea of preparing vessels for destruction, it's, it's purposeful. Like, and, and it has this, this good end, um, you know, that it is ultimately to demonstrate God's glory and to demonstrate God's glory to us in showing us mercy. Um, so, so, yeah, so it, it's, the idea is, uh, is to emphasize, well, rather than worry about is God just or unjust, the idea, the real question is, is, is this a God who shows mercy? Like, you know, who is this God? He's a God who shows mercy. He, he takes us to that characteristic of God and that we have to trust God's purposes in ex exercising um, his plan, that there, ha there is a goal, and that goal is to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, which he has prepared beforehand for that glory. Yeah, Tree. Yeah, and it's the idea, like, again, that was for, for purpose. Like, so back to chapter 5. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And the idea isn't murder, like, it's punished. Like, so, you know, he condemned Christ died a sacrificial death as a condemned criminal. He was innocent, 
but he's condemned because we stood in that position of being condemned criminals. So he paid the penalty, the righteous penalty that we deserved. And in this idea of God displaying his wrath, like he drank the cup of wrath that we deserve to drink. So, so God's wrath had to be exercised. It had to be poured out. And we deserved it. But rather than it being poured out and us feeling its destructive effects, Christ took it in order that we could drink from his cup of life. Yeah, Matthew. It's a merciful act, like, you know, and that's, again, like, even in this, like, you know, mercy is the key word that comes throughout these verses. So as we're thinking about it, again, we're not engaged, Paul's not engaged in some abstract philosophical discussion. He's, he's engaged in, in this, you know, intense understanding of God's salvific purposes, and his salvific purposes demonstrate his mercy like even the idea of like he, he he you know prologues this discussion by emphasizing Christ is God so like he's kind of prepped us for exactly that that perspective um, as we get into these verses yes Cynthia God's sovereign, humans are responsible. <laughs> and, and that's how it, you know, 9 and 10 fit together, because even though the, you know, we're, we're giving, being given this kind of God's eye view here, in chapter 10, we're going to get, well, why, are, why did Jews respond, or Jews respond in one way and Gentiles another? Well, it's because the Jews are trusting in their works and are not responding in faith, whereas the Gentiles are responding in faith. And, and one group is, is looking at Christ as the cornerstone of this new temple, and the other group is stumbling over who Christ is and why he's come. So, so yeah, so human, like, again, it's, it's like we talked about last week. It wasn't like Pharaoh was on a merry little path of righteousness and God turned him around <laughs> and hardened him and sent him a direction he wanted, didn't want to go. You know, he, he, you know, that idea, he, he pulled off the restraints and let Pharaoh do what Pharaoh was going to do. And, and, you know, that led to Pharaoh's destruction and the demonstration of God's glory. And it's the way um, this one follows on what he's told. You know, for this very purpose I've raised you up, that I might show my power in you and that my name be proclaimed in all the earth. So Pharaoh is like the, the prime example of God, how God does this very thing. Like somebody's responsible for evil, but God uses their evil acts to demonstrate his wrath and his power and ultimately his glory in delivering his people. Yeah, Dave. Yeah, and you often see that in, in, in Old Testament, God, when God saves his people, you know, it's the sword of, of wrath is the same as the sword of deliverance. Like, you know, he strikes a blow for his people, and that means he's going to cut down, you know, the Assyrians. <laughs> he saves, to save his people, he's destroying someone else, and it's the same kind of idea that, you know, through his act of delivering his people, 
you know, he's also displaying his wrath against sin. All right, well, let's move on to the, to the next section. So um, in verse 24, he picks up his, his main theme, and, and we get the second part of this, you know, not all, and here we get the not only. Even us whom he's called, not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles. So how have the Gentiles, um, or, yeah, um, I, I don't like my question. Uh, <laughs> and now I'm trying to rephrase it. This is why I prepare questions ahead of time, because my brain can't do them uh, instantly. Um, so, it, I mean, one thing to note, so in the first part, he was using the patriarchs. Now he's using prophets. So how is, um, yeah, how is Paul using the, these passages from Hosea and Isaiah to help us understand um, who constitutes the people of God? Yeah, Rob. So it's there, so the Hosea's verses 25, 26, those who are not my people, I will call my people, and her who is not beloved, I will call beloved, and in the very place where it was said to them, you are not my people, they will be called the sons of the living God. And then the Isaiah ones are, though the number of the sons of Israel be as the sand of the sea, only a remnant of them will be saved, for the Lord will carry out his sentence upon the earth fully and without delay. And then in 29, if the Lord of hosts has not left us offspring, we would have been like Sodom and become like Gomorrah. So what are these passages pulled from the prophets? And it's four different um, scripture verses. It's Hosea uh, 2.23 is the first one. Hosea 1.10 is the second one. And then Isaiah 10, 22 through 23, and then Isaiah 1, 9. Abdication, I don't want to use given up, and I don't want to use abdication because we'll get to chapter 11 and it'll, it'll say, it's, it's more those, those promises were bigger um, and included more than, um, than just Israel. It's, it's not only were the promises for Israel, but, but also for Gentiles. And, right, so he's trying to to refute that idea by saying, like, and, and two things he's using these passages for. So one is, again, it's, it's not only, these promises were not only for Israel, but also for the Gentiles, and that's what he's using, the Hosea ones there. You know, those who are not my people, I'll make my people. Like, that's what God does. And then the second, um, with the Isaiah one, is the idea there's always a remnant. Um, and even in the Old Testament, um, God wasn't saving all Israel all the time. <laughs> um, he was often punishing Israel, but keeping his promises by always preserving a remnant. Um, you know, and, if, and, and it's God's doing that, um, as the second Isaiah. If the Lord of hosts had not left us offspring, we would have been like Sodom and like Gomorrah. Like if God hadn't preserved a remnant, it's a merciful thing for God to preserve a remnant of a people who um, in their entirety or in their collective deserved to be destroyed because they had turned away from God and rebelled against him. And he was faithful to his promises by preserving a remnant. But also those promises weren't just for Israel, they were for the Gentiles as well. Um, and, it, and he's using these verses uh, from Hosea which some people, like not to get into all the technical stuff, some people um, uh, argue Paul's misusing these verses because these verses in Hosea are really directed toward the northern kingdom. But it's more that idea, he's taking the principle established in Hosea and applying it to the Gentiles, saying, this is what God does. God takes people who you know, did not exist and he calls them. And it's through his calling 
even us whom he's called, that makes people followers of God. It's, it's not their, their ethnicity. It's not their works. It's the calling of God that makes people the people of God. Yeah, Brian. Yeah, and we see that at the very end of chapter 9, where, um, again, Paul goes to Isaiah, and he takes these two verses, um, different verses referring to stones, and he smushes them together um, to, to help explain exactly what you're saying, that what has, you know, had been told all along has come, but rather than recognizing it, they're, they're tripping over it. For behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. Whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the, the, you know, the stone has come. The Messiah has come. Whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. And they're stumbling over it. Um, and and, and we're, we'll get to, to, to more of this in chapter 10, that, that God's word has clearly come. Um, and in 10, what, what's different about 10 is, like, you know, in 9, we're not getting a lot in, in this discussion from God's perspective. We're not getting those, those salvific words, <laughs> faith, righteousness. From 9.30 until, you know, for most of 10, it's, it's all about righteousness and faith and a righteousness, the righteousness of God that comes by faith. And the people to whom had were zealous for righteousness, those are the ones who are um, refusing to come to Christ because they, they want a righteousness that comes that's their own rather than this righteousness that's a gift from God. Yeah, Teresa. Yeah, so again, when Hosea spoke these words, he was primarily talking about the rebellious kingdom. Of, of, he's he's re mainly rebelling to referring to rebellious Israelites. So, but Paul is taking those verses and saying, in those same verses, we can see an extension of just as God can take a rebellious Israel people who've rejected him and, and therefore become no names <laughs> um, and, and not a people. He can make them. A, it's, it's by God's calling that makes people God's people. Like whether it's Israelites or Gentiles, what makes a person you know, part of the true spiritual people of God? It's God's calling of them and they're responding to that call in faith. That's what makes a person, um, a follower of God, 
whether it's an Israelite or a Gentile. Um, it's, it's God's calling that makes the people of God. And that's the principle, even though Hosea was addressing a different audience, he wasn't talking about Gentiles or talking to Gentiles. Paul can take that same principle and apply it. It's, it's the same thing applies to Gentiles. God can call somebody by his calling. That, what, what's, that is what makes not a people a people. It, it's God's calling of them, and they're responding to that call in faith. It's the, the idea of, yeah, uh, and a child whose parentage <laughs> cannot be determined <laughs> because the child's mother is uh, an adulteress. And as we often see the prophets do, like, like it's a prophetic action for Hosea to take this woman as his wife and to name his children these things. So then God can kind of use them as physical, visible symbols of what his spiritual message to the people is. And that message, you know, here as Paul is presenting it, is that, you know, that these people who are unbeloved suddenly become beloved. Um, uh, I, um, Ezekiel has, uses the same image of the, uh, you know, the prostitute wife, but, um, uh, he, he takes it even back to, to birth, like, you know, it, it's, she was born and cast aside, like, literally, like, aborted, abandoned, and God chose that child <laughs> and raised it up, and, and it became a beautiful bride that then became adulterous, um, and, and that's, uh, you know, a great picture of, you know, his relationship to, to Israel, like he, there was nothing special in them. In fact, they were, you know, outcast and, and God called them and took something that, that wasn't valued and made it valued. And even as that people um, rebelled, that God has the ability through his calling to bring them back. And even through that calling to bring us in. So again, it's that idea. It's not all Israel belonged to Israel but not only Israel belong to the true spiritual God. And that's what he's been emphasizing in this section of Isaiah, or these quotations from Isaiah, this section of Romans. Uh, my brain's... Yep, the Old Testament, like, you know, it, you know, basically, Idolatry is rather than um, giving one's affections to to the you know God as our husband, we're we've turned astray and we've turned after other gods. So yeah, it's it's the same kind of action. Um, all right, well, let's uh, jump into this last section, um, chapter uh, nine, verse thirty to verses verse. We'll stop roughly around verse 4 in chapter 10, even though it, it goes on through all of chapter 10, this argument that starts in um, chapter 9.30. So here, um, Paul is shifting from the, you know, this question of, from kind of God's perspective, um, who belongs to God's people, to now the human aspect, the response. Um, so how is it that the Gentiles have obtained the righteousness of God and the flip side of that question is, why have the Jews failed in their pursuit of that righteousness? Yeah, Tim. Okay. Yeah, so he has these, he presents these series of, of contrast between uh, a righteousness 
that is by faith versus trusting in a law that leads to righteousness or the righteousness of God in verse 3 of chapter 10 versus their own righteousness, uh, a righteousness that uh, is based on works of the law versus a righteousness that comes through faith. Um, so yeah, so it's a contrast. So the one half of the contrast is trusting in a righteousness that is, is coming through obedience to the law as the means of obtaining that righteousness. Um, so that is part of the stumbling block. Um, why did they fail? Why did they not succeed their goal? Um, verse 32, why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as if it were based on works. Um, and that becomes the stumbling block, um, a righteousness that comes through faith in Christ. Christ is the one who brings the righteousness that human beings need. And by failing to, 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 to believe in him, they are failing to obtain the goal. Um, others, what, what do we make of what Paul is, how Paul is distinguishing between Gentiles and Jews here? I've never known this group to go so quiet. <laughs> okay, tell her you said that. No. <laughs> yeah, Tim. Yeah, and I, I, the, this contrast between, um, you know, the, the simple and trying to, like, I, I'm great at making things much more complex than they need to be. Um, I, I remember um, once working through a math problem and like I had a whole page of my calculations and I took it, my teacher like did it in one line. <laughs> it's like, I got to the end. <laughs> But I went like through like so much more work <laughs> than I needed to when like, <laughs> um, and it's that, that kind of idea like, um, you know, they have the right, um, and he says like, you know, they have a zeal for God. Like, you know, so they, you know, they have the, the right motivation, but they're not using what God has given them for its, right purpose, and that right purpose is the law is supposed to culminate in Christ. Like, that's what the law was there. The law wasn't a, a tool for themselves to earn their own righteousness. The law was there to, to bring them to the culmination of the law, which is Christ, for Christ is the end of law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Like, that is the telos, the goal of the law is Christ. Um, so in their zeal for the law, they're, they're, they're taking, making what's supposed to be a simple thing, um, complex and really impossible. Like, um, I was thinking of this, uh, you know, like, there are always those, like, remember those, like, cartoons where, like, you know, somebody's doing this elaborate breaking into the house, like, picking the lock. And meanwhile, someone just goes and opens another door, comes inside and opens it from the inside. And meanwhile, the person's still trying to work at the lock, trying to get in. And 
and they're like tapping them on the shoulder. <laughs> and it's, it's that like, you know, so intent on trying to do it themselves that they can't walk through the open door that's been presented uh, to them. Like, you know, this, you know, they're so committed to doing it on their own. And, and again, that's what, um, why this applies to us, because that is constantly our temptation to get away from this, this gospel of grace and, and start to emphasize self-reliance or thinking, oh yeah, I'm doing pretty good. <laughs> Maybe I don't need as much God's mercy today. Like, no, <laughs> uh, you need that mercy each and every day. And it's the start point, midpoint, and end point. You, know, um, you never grow beyond that need for God's grace and mercy. You never grow beyond that idea that you need to exercise faith in Christ. Yeah, Dave. Well, yeah. <laughs> and it's why like often Isaiah 53 doesn't get read nowadays because why present something that's presented so clearly and is so contrary to what you've been saying for the last 2,000 years? Mike, I saw your hand. So the Ten Commandments are given and it's kind of a naive thinking to look at them and say, oh, what could be missing with it? I guess I should keep the Ten Commandments and I'm, I'm pleasing God. But, uh, you know, in, in having that attitude, isn't it kind of condemning Yeah, and it's and it's come, you know, like by suddenly having eyes to to see that 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 God has given. Like in in many ways, Paul's talking about him himself in so many ways. Like in in verse two, for example, I mean, think of Paul's zeal. Paul was zealous for the righteousness of God. That's why he went around tracking down, hunting down Christians. Um, he's he, you know. He sees them as blasphemers, and he's zealous for the righteousness of God. And then suddenly, you know, he's confronted with the truth of who Christ is, that Christ is God. And, and now that, that zeal, which is good, and zeal is always, in the New Testament, a positive um, attribute. To be zealous, for, you know, is, is almost uniformly a good thing. Um, so he's, he's commending them here for their zeal. But if you're zealous and ignorant, <laughs> um, then that is a recipe for, for disaster. Like, um, you know, it'd be like me going into, um, uh, so uh, I don't know if, I, I, it's not a bakery story. So um, I, I have had other jobs. So one of my jobs once, um, I was working for the photonics department at um, Duke, and so photonics is light engineering, so it was in the engineering school. 
And so they had like these labs that I would go into and have no idea like what anything. But I, you know, I'm working for them. I want to help, and like they like barred me from the lab <laughs> because my zeal <laughs> was was uh, attached to my profound ignorance of what exactly they were doing. And so, like you know, I'd open the you know, do something like, no, <laughs> you can't open that without safety goggles. It's a laser in there, you idiot. Um, so, so it's that kind of idea. The, the zeal is, is good and commendable, but when it's paired with, with ignorance, then it produces the wrong result. Like, it, and it's, it's, in this case, in many ways, it's the zeal that's keeping them from accepting the righteousness that is before them uh, and offered to them a righteousness that comes through faith in Christ. And notice how, uh, again, like 930 through 1021, like it, it, we're back to Romans 1, 16 and 17. Um, you know, he's working through that idea. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. So we're back to that principal theme of the book. And he's demonstrating here that um, the, the lack of response from the Israel um, is, is they're not accepting a righteousness of God that comes from faith. Yeah, because, I, and I think you, you, you put your um, thumb on it. Like, it's the idea, like, they're zealous for their own righteousness rather than being zealous for the true righteousness of God. You know, they want, as Paul says here, they're ignorant of the righteousness of God and they're seeking to establish their own righteousness. They're, they're ignorant of what the righteousness of God really is and that this is a righteousness of God that comes through faith. Um, and instead, they're, they're zealous for pursuing a righteousness of their own that comes through works, um, which does lead to, you know, all kinds of, you know, murder, as you say. Like, you know, because they, they're rejecting the stone that has been chosen as the cornerstone or the keystone. Um, they're stumbling on that gift to them. Yes, Cynthia. Yep. It's, uh, yeah, um, as my uh, friend Bebo says, you know, we're, we're all going through <laughs> this this withdrawal <laughs> of thinking we can do it ourselves. <laughs> like, you know, and, and that's our lifelong struggle is that, you know, rather than accepting the gift that's received by faith, we keep back, no, 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 I, I got this one. Like, you know, and that is our constant, you know, and, and we, we're great at coming up with our own sets of rules and practices by which we think we can make ourselves more acceptable to God rather than receiving the perfect righteousness of God that comes through faith. So again, like these chapters, he's, he's pulling together things that he's said, 
you know, in chapters one through eight, you know, like all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So we're all under that, that standpoint um, of, of need. There's no one righteous, not one. Like, so, like, no one's done it. Um, so we have to have a, a righteousness, as Luther said, an alien righteousness, a righteousness that comes from outside ourselves, a righteousness that we can only possess through faith in Christ, who, who gives us the righteousness of God. Yeah, Bill. Yeah, and it's that, you know, God's saving purpose is what brings his people through, his calling of them, not their faithful response. And that is the story of the Old Testament, God's repeated demonstration of his faithfulness to a faithless people. And that's why, and um, as to sort of maybe we were at our time to end with some application, you know, notice again here at the beginning of 10, he interjects that, you know, this is what, you know, we need to be having the same kind of heart desire and, and, and acting in prayer as, as Paul's doing. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. Like, you know, he's, he's just given all this, you know, talk about God's sovereignty and election. But from a human perspective, we don't know who's saved and who's not. Like, if we use that as like, like okay, so we don't have to do anything, um, then that is that is a wrong application. <laughs> now, the application is, you know, we don't know, we don't have God's perspective, and therefore our heart's desire should be with and for the lost and 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 seeking to to save them. And as he's gonna, we'll see next week. You know, how will they call on him whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe of him whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? Like, so, you know, he, he moves, as he moves to the human side, the human side, our responsibility is to preach the gospel to the lost and constantly bringing the lost before the gracious God because their only hope is in God's, saving actions toward them by bringing them to a knowledge of the righteousness of God that comes through faith. Um, so, like, so let that be a, a strong admonition to all of us, me included, that we have to, um, you know, have this desire to see the lost reached and to if, be praying for them and going to them with this good news that he's presenting here. And that even in describing how one people hasn't responded and wasn't responding in, in Paul's time, doesn't mean that Paul has given up on them um, or should give up on them, but that his prayer and his heart's desire is to see them come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ and receive a righteousness of God that comes through faith, not through works. And that should be our um, desire and prayer for people as well. Um, so let me uh, close our time. Grace God, we do thank you um, for your uh, saving work that it's um, uh, that we stand before you not um, through a righteousness of our own, but we can come before you with a righteousness that is a gift, um, a righteousness of Christ um, that we receive uh, by faith um, not seeking to establish our own standing before you, but um, gratefully receiving what you've given uh, to us. Lord, help us um, 
to have the same um, merciful heart that you have, um, the same kind of desire uh, that um, uh, people will come to know your son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. May that be our desire as well, that as we uh, believe in him, uh, that we will seek um, to present him to others who do not believe, um, that we would be faithful witnesses, that they too might um, uh, come to know our Savior, Jesus Christ. Uh, help us to worship him now. In this coming hour, we pray, um, give us your spirit that we might worship in spirit and truth and make us one uh, as we are made one through our union with our Savior, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.